Hello and welcome to Canine Educators to Save a Life. My name is Eric Odie Roth, author of Canine Medic. Today I have a very special guest in my canine studio. Her name is Riley Mears. Riley, welcome. Hi. Riley, I have so much I want to talk about with you, but catch me up on what, what you've been up to lately. I am currently a nursing student at Bethel. Uh, it's a school in UCCS, and I'm super excited to start clinicals this fall. So, Riley, you've had a service dog much of your childhood. I want to bring the listeners up to speed on how we met. About 10 years ago, I get a call out of the blue from this super energetic lady, your mom. She tells me, I've done quite a bit of research on you, and I'd like for you to come down to Colorado Springs to train about four to five families in canine first aid and CPR. As we spoke more, she told me these families were receiving service dogs, and these dogs were specifically trained to detect peanuts, and more importantly, these dogs were going to children who have life-threatening peanut allergies. Working as a paramedic, I've been on numerous calls involving anaphylaxis, and it very much can be a life-threatening emergency if treatment is not administered immediately. Often, prevention of coming into contact with the allergen is of utmost importance. Now, I was blown away that there are actually dogs to alert children to peanuts. How cool is this? So I arrived the night before at the conference center, and I see all these banners of a little girl and a service dog. I see magazines with the same girl on the cover. Now, these were national publications, not just some local flyer. Then I was then talking to your mom, and she tells me to prepare for some interviews as the news media will be here tomorrow. I was like, oh boy, what did I get into here? And then like a movie, you came around the corner with Rocco. I was like, hey, that is the same girl that's on these banners. I had no clue that I was meeting somebody famous. So I have to tell you, when I met you, you were so brave and you had so much confidence and energy. I remember you telling me that you have a severe peanut allergy and Rocco is your service dog. And watching you and Rocco interact was truly a thing of beauty. Now often people don't understand just how significant allergies can be. Can you speak to the time that you got a peanut shell caught between your foot and your flip-flop? Of course. So this was back when my parents knew that I had severe, a very severe peanut allergy, but they weren't quite sure just how severe yet. They had seen me going to anaphylaxis before and they had my EpiPen, but they didn't know that I was one of those kids who has incredibly severe reactions. So I was playing in the sandbox and I got a peanut shell caught in my sandal. This is something that for any other kid would have even been an incident, but for me, it actually started to burn my skin, and it left me with a scar that I still have to this day on my foot. They thought they were going to have to skin graft it, but luckily they did not. Um, this is the day that my parents really realized how severe what I have is, and that's when they realized that they were going to have to take some precautions with me and that I wasn't going to necessarily have a normal childhood. So really, when you agreed to this interview, my mind was going in so many directions because there's so much I want to cover. But I want you to know that you have truly inspired me in so many ways, and I really appreciate our time together today. So Riley, what was it like as a child growing up with such a severe allergy? It was quite alienating at times. A lot of people would either have never really heard of a peanut allergy as bad as mine, or they knew someone who had a peanut allergy, but it was so mild that it didn't really compare to mine. So when I would tell them that I can't be in the same room if you're eating peanuts or if you eat peanuts today that I can't play, they would think that I was being overdramatic or that I was trying to get attention when in reality, I was just trying to stay safe. How many times did you end up in the emergency room? 
too many to count, but most of my child was spent in the emergency room either from asthma attacks or from allergy attacks. I actually got held back my kindergarten year because I had missed so much school from going into anaphylaxis or having an asthma attack that um, I had missed. I didn't have the minimum number of days to actually continue on. So they made me stay in school for an extra year. I also remember you didn't like the dresses they put on you. Is that correct? Oh, oh, the patient. Oh, my gosh, the patient gowns. No, I did not like those at all. They were for a little kid. They have a whole back that's opened. And I just thought that was absolutely awful. I think they should change that. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to really talk about, you know, when Rocco came into your life, how did that change your life? It changed nearly every aspect of my life. It went from I could only go to the playground if there weren't kids there and if it was all wiped down to just being able to walk down to the park really whenever I wanted and play with whatever kids because Rocco would go around. He would alert me if there were any peanuts, my parents could clean them up and wipe it down. Or if he said it was all safe, I could play and I could play with the other kids and know that I wasn't going to have to go to the hospital that day. So did you lose your name where people just just like... Oh, no, that's not Riley. That's the girl with the dog. Oh, absolutely. Um, It wasn't only the girl with the dog. It was also the girl with the peanut allergies. Funny side story. Um, My current fiance, Caleb, he we actually went to the same kindergarten and we didn't realize that we were in the same kindergarten class until we were going out to eat one night. And I said, oh, I have a peanut allergy. I can't go anywhere with peanuts. And his mom said, oh, you had a girl with a peanut allergy in your class. And that's when we realized we had gone to kindergarten together because that was the most memorable thing about me. That's what everyone remembered is I had the dog and I had the gloves and I couldn't eat around other kids. That's crazy. Yeah. What was it like attending school with Rocco? It was... So at that point, I was already in a hybrid partial homeschool, partial public school format. Um, my second service dog, Cece, is actually the one that I mainly went to school with. And Rocco, in my early years, it was definitely awkward having him around. But when I was in school, my mom was with me. So it was nice because if the dog did need something, if he needed taken out or anything else, my mom kind of reminded me. When I got to eighth grade, that's when I was in school all by myself full time. And that's when I hit Cece. And it was a lot of fun having Cece. But I also definitely became that's when I really became the girl with the dog and it's middle school you want to stand out you want to be your own person and everyone knew me as oh well I have the dog I actually got into several fights with my parents about I wanted to stop taking CC to school because I wanted to be my own person it was the first time I was in public school for years and I wanted to shine as me and everyone just knew that I had the dog it was also hard getting from class to class because I would have these groups of people who with all the best intentions were coming up and asking to pet the dog and everything else but it just kind of made me feel like oh wow like they care about the dog like I myself could never be this popular so it seems like just from my perception that you really had to grow up real fast yes absolutely um especially when I was younger because I was the one who really had to advocate for myself on the playground and say hey I'm not being overdramatic. I will have to go to the hospital. Um, And if you don't like that, then that's your problem. So Riley, if you could turn back time and talk to your 10-year-old self, what would you say? I would say that you're going to outgrow your peanut allergy, which no one thought I would. So that was a miracle. And that people actually know you for you. I didn't know this until after I had outgrown my peanut allergy and didn't have the service dog anymore. But everyone did know my name as well as Cece's name. And back then, it certainly didn't feel like that. 
So Riley, you kind of touched on this a little bit. A lot of people with service dogs, they, they have a lot of challenges on a daily basis. Can you tell me, how did you feel when your family was challenged about Rocco allowing excess, let's say, into a restaurant? The worst situation I ever had with this, and this was with Rocco, I think I was around eight or nine. I went into an Arby's. Arby's is one of the few places I could eat at because um, their desserts and stuff are prepackaged and they're pretty much peanut free. So it was a safe place for me to eat. And we went in and they have, I forgot what they're called, but these little triangle pastries with jelly in them. Those were my favorite thing ever. So we went there and it was supposed to be a special treat. And I came in with Rocco and the lady behind the counter took great offense to this. She was like, I don't want no smelly dog in my restaurant. And she had me in tears crying and she kicked us out of the restaurant. She said, we are not allowed to be in there anymore. And I was crying. My mom actually called it in and called the non-emergency number. And the non-emergency number said that that was a domestic dispute and that basically the shoe wasn't breaking any laws by asking us to leave because they themselves weren't educated on what the laws were. Yeah, so speaking about that, how well do you feel the public is educated on service dogs? I feel like public education for service dogs is something that definitely could improve in our society because... So many people, they either have no idea what a service dog is, or they feel like it's just a normal dog that someone slapped a vest on. So I did a little bit of research, you know, preparing for this interview. And as of taping of this interview, there are currently 31 states that can be termed true bans on fraudulent representation of pets as service animals. One of the concerns I have with this COVID stuff, many of these police departments are being defunded. What does that look like for enforcement of these rules that are set forth? Well, this is where I myself could probably use some more education. I, and I didn't realize this until that day at Arby's, I'm not even sure who is meant to enforce service dog law or meant to allow restaurant owners to, or, um, sorry, force restaurant owners to accept service dogs or vice versa, go after people who have fraudulent service dogs. I'm not sure if that's something the police handle or if it's a third party system. And so I, I myself need better education on this. Yeah, I think we all do as a society as a whole. So let's kind of focus in on fake service dogs here for a little bit. So obviously, they've been a significant issue for many years. And in my opinion, never having a service dog, I feel it really hampers your ability to live life on a daily basis. It does. Um, people don't realize, but when you bring a fraudulent service dog that isn't well trained into a public setting and it's misbehaving or it's barking or it's messing on the floor... This makes a bad reputation for all service dogs that are legitimate because the next time that store owner sees a dog, they're going to assume it's a, it's trained to the same degree that the dog who peed on the aisle is. Can you speak to some of the things to people look for basically that identifies that it's a fake service dog? Yeah, there's a few things for me that when I see a dog in public doing this or a dog that's supposed to be a service dog doing this, I always know right away that they're fraudulent. One of the telltales is barking. A service dog should never, ever bark. Even service dogs that are meant to alert to something, it's very rare that they're trained to bark to alert because if the owner has anxiety or any issue like that, like PTSD, barking itself could actually upset the owner. So no legit service dog is trained to bark in public. The other thing is just general disobedience. If they're pulling on the leash or if they're trying to eat stuff off the floor, um, aggressive, any dog that acts even mildly aggressive, that's another really good telltale sign that this is in no way a service dog. Interacting with strangers or other people, pulling on the leash to go meet other people is something that a legitimate service dog is trained not to do 
or it's been in public so much that it's desensitized to being around people. Now, your average household pet is going to get super excited if you take it into a store and it's going to want to meet everyone. So that's a really good telltale sign. One thing kind of mentioned Lon Hodge and Gander, it, they really brought to my attention the kind of the four on the floor type theory. Can you talk about that? Yes. So the four on the floor theory says that service dogs should have all four paws on the floor. They shouldn't be in a cart or they shouldn't be in a stroller. Um, The owner shouldn't be carrying them. And this is legitimate to a certain degree. There are certain dogs, for example, um, for handicapped individuals who can't lean down and pick stuff up. Sometimes they will have their smaller service dog in a bag and the dog will go and pick something up for them. This is, from what I've seen, rather rare. Normally, when the dog is a legitimate service dog, it is four on the floor. Um, there's also certain therapy dogs, um, which are technically not service dogs, but that are allowed to be in a bag or in a purse to help calm down the person's anxiety or if they have any type of depressive disorder. But like I said, that is rather rare. And even if you do see a service dog who's in a little baggie, they still should be behaving. Riley, how many times were you asked for proof of Rocco is your service dog? So this happened to me more in the city than anywhere else. Um, In Monument, which is where I grew up, after a while, everyone kind of got a sense of who I was. You know, I was going to the same stores. So after a little bit, everyone kind of got to know that that was my service dog. But when I would go up to Denver or New York or any bigger cities, it was incredibly common for someone to ask, do you have identification for that dog? But back then, you did not have to carry legal identification for a service dog. And I would tell them that, but of course, that didn't help. If they had already made up their mind that Rocco wasn't a service dog, they had made up their mind. This definitely crashes in my EMS world. I treat patients that have service dogs. I can ask them two questions. Number one, is that a service dog? And if they say yes, I am allowed to ask, what tasks do they perform for you? legitimate true service dog should be able to provide a task for that owner. So Riley, you mentioned a lot of people want to come up and, and pet your dog and interact with them. What would you say to those people who want to interact with a service dog? I would say I understand those people um, have all the best intentions in the world. It's a fluffy dog and they themselves might not be having a good time. Um, I've read different stories on um, Instagram or Facebook where someone will be having a panic attack and a different service dog will come up to them and calm them down. So I understand they just want to interact with the dog and it's hard to resist. But no, that person probably gets so much attention for having the service dog. And you could also could be interfering with that person's disability. In the example of autism, sensory overload is very common. And if a bunch of, if a crowd of people walk up to someone who is autistic in a crowd, that could upset them and that could cause an incidence. So you just need to be aware that a service dog is there to do a job. And although they are cute and fluffy, just look at them and do not pet. And ask, right? Oh, yes. And ask. Well, the issue with asking, because that, that is a debate that I used to get into with people, is if if you ask, is that okay? Asking, I would even say try to withhold from that, especially in a crowded public area, because if you ask, there's probably a hundred other people that day who have asked. And that can become very overwhelming. And that can also make the person feel like they're fading into the background a little. So I want to change gears a bit. And I'm going to read an email that I received. And you have not seen this email. I have not. Odie, we had one of the dogs in training at our house today and a very freak accident happened. I heard Riley screaming outside. I looked outside and she was given Rocco and Kaya a bath in our outdoor wading pool. Kaya had caught his leg on the underside of the plastic pool. 
The plastic had caught his leg, cut an artery, and cut down to the bone. Riley grabbed her pack, put a gauze muzzle on his mouth, took another gauze pack and put it on the open wound, and used vet wrap to hold it in place to stop the squirting blood with his heartbeat. She then tells me, I checked his pulse and he seems to be okay, but we need to get him to the vet. We had him to the vet inside of 20 minutes, and when the vet took the wrap off, the wound started squirting again. The vet was impressed with the wrap, to which Riley said, I learned it in canine CPR class. Can you take me back to that day? Yeah, so that day, I was so young. I think I was 9 or 10, and it's still pretty fresh in my memory. Me and my little brother, Hayes, were playing in the backyard, and the dogs were just playing around, and we were giving them a bath. And then Kaya jumped up into the kiddie pool, and the water got really murky, like almost brown. And I was like, that's weird. What's going on? And so I went over, and luckily, Kaya was one of the sweetest dogs ever. So he didn't act aggressive or anything, so I couldn't really tell what was wrong. So I called him over and made him stand up, and that's when I saw the blood gushing from his leg. And from your class, I knew that if an artery had been cut, that it would spurt to a heartbeat to a certain extent. And because it was doing that, I thought... I'm pretty sure this is an artery bleed, and I'm pretty sure this is an emergency. So I ran, and in your class, you had told us everything that we should have in a canine first aid kit. Um, so I had all that stuff in there. I had made it only a few days before because I was so excited because I had just taken your class. And so I had all the gauze. I had all the wrappings, everything I needed. So at first, I muzzled Kaya, which honestly... He was so, so well-mannered. He just let me put the muzzle on him, and he never once whined or yipped, but it's still a good idea to put a muzzle on him because I thought he is in a lot of pain, and if I touch something the wrong way, he could lunge at me, even though he is such a well-mannered dog. So I put the muzzle on him, and then I put pressure on the wound, and I started wrapping it around the leg exactly how you'd shown us in canine CPR. By the time my mom got out to the yard... I had pretty much already taken care of everything, and we got to the vet, and the vet had uh, told me that if I wouldn't have done what I did, the dog would have either died or had to have some serious surgery to repair and stop the bleeding. So really, after that incident, my phone started blowing up with news media inquiries. This seems to happen a lot when I'm around you. <laughs> I don't know. I seem to have that effect. So I was a little apprehensive to actually see you in person today. Ultimately, Channel 9 in Denver wanted to do a story. And the one thing I remember is the newscaster, she was truly in awe that you were only 10 years old and able to provide first aid to your dog. So I want you to know that that single event played such an important part on where I am as a person and where we are today with our motivation for our online courses. I realized I'm not just teaching first aid. I'm giving people the tools and more importantly, the confidence to be able to save a life. Well, if it wouldn't have been for the class that I took with you, I can honestly say that day I would not have been equipped with what I need. And that dog wouldn't have gotten the help it needed if it wasn't for me taking your class. So Riley, what's the next chapter look like for you? Well, uh, like I said, I'm currently in nursing school. I got in, which I'm very excited about. I have always... I guess, had a passion for helping people, which I know is such a cliche thing to say, but I really have. And I'm so very excited to be able to go into nursing and provide care for those who are sick. And my ultimate dream is to one day go into Nurses Without Borders and be able to serve overseas and help those who are less fortunate. So, Riley, what's your inspiration for going to nursing school? My main inspiration actually came from one of the times I was in the ER as a kid. 
I'd gone on this homeschooling field trip up to the Denver Museum. And they, someone forgot to tell them that I had a peanut allergy, um, or they forgot themselves. And so they were handing out snacks, and it had peanut oil in it. No one thought much of it until I took a bite of one of the crackers. The next thing you know, I'm having an asthma attack. I'm covered in hives. I'm on the floor. They're rushing to get my mom. Someone gave me the EpiPen. And then I get to the ER. Well, what was significant for me about that day is I had a brand new pair of white pants. It was the first time I was ever allowed to buy white pants because my mom knew I had a habit of being a messy eater. And so I promised her that if she bought me those pants, that I would keep them clean the entire field trip day. That day, I was throwing up. Um, There was the EpiPen incident. And through all of that, I kept them clean. And I was very proud of myself for that. I come to later in the ER and I'm sitting there still kind of... um queasy and not feeling good and the nurse comes in and I have an IV in and this nurse was clearly not having a good day I asked her if I could have a snack and she just kind of blew me off so I kind of got that she maybe was not her best self that day but she's obviously in a hurry so she goes to take my IV out and IVs you're supposed to take out at an angle the angle that they went in and she just takes it and she yanks it up she yanks it up out of my arm because she's in such a hurry This causes blood to gush everywhere, all over my new white pants, and completely ruins them. And I thought, I understand that she's probably having a bad day, but I'm willing to bet that I was having a worse day because I was in the ER. And I want to be able to be a nurse because the idea that I could help someone on one of the worst days that they're having and make their day even a little bit better instead of a little bit worse is an opportunity that I would get every single day. And I really look forward to being able to help people like that. So you mentioned you learned the skills to take care of Kaya in our class. What would you say to someone considering to take a canine first aid and CPR class? I would say take it seriously. Um, I remember that day, my mom basically drugged me into your class. And I was like, oh, you know, like, this is a cool thing maybe to tell people that I can do like, oh, I can do canine CPR. But I didn't, I didn't think I would ever actually use it. I mean, how often does a dog really get hurt, right? And then a week after your class is when the incident with Kaya happened. And if I would have known that that was going to happen a week later, I would have been taking notes, I would have been paying much, much more attention. So when you're taking a CPR class, be it K9 or any other, take it and you take it and pay attention to the extent that you could be saving someone's life even the next day with the knowledge you're going to get in that class. And so it needs to be taken that seriously. Right, I can't thank you enough for spending time with me. Uh, as I mentioned before, you were truly an inspiration to me and I know you're going to do great things in life and thank you for being here today. Yes, thank you for having me. It was an honor to be able to come onto your show and uh, relive my past a little bit. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd like to invite you to take one of our online pet first aid and CPR courses. We currently have two courses available. The dog owner course covers over 35 chapters and there is special attention to CPR, bloat, and poisons. We also have a course that includes cats. This is our pet sitters course. All courses are self-paced and the best thing, learning is done at your home on your own time. Students are allowed access to our closed Facebook group called Canine Connect. Here they can ask questions with our instructors, gain knowledge, and share opinions in a friendly environment. On our Canine Connect Facebook page, you also have exclusive access to our monthly case studies presented by our veterinarian, Dr. Lisa Booth. You can enroll in any of our courses at www.canineeducators.com. 
On behalf of all of us at Canine Educators, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we hope that you like this podcast and subscribe. Until next time, never let fear be larger than your purpose.